People's Poetry Podcast with me, Jimmy Bowman. Hello and welcome to People's Poetry Podcast, episode one of series six. I can't believe we're on six already. This is the poetry and spoken word podcast that follows me, Jimmy Bowman, a teacher and poet myself, as I wander the UK to chat to a range of poets and explore the UK's love affair with poetry. Now, this podcast is not just for those who are already into poetry. Our mission, my mission, is to show you that there is poetry for all walks of life and there is something out there written for you. Series 6 was recorded in the middle of the global pandemic, I'm sure you've heard of it, via the magic of Zoom. Series 6, we've decided to hear from you and we have launched our new open mic segment of the podcast. Each episode, we're going to select one of the many submissions we've had. A massive thank you to everyone that has submitted. It's been really tough whittling it down to just nine this series. Uh, But each episode, we are going to hear one poem from a new voice. From not just the UK, but around the globe. I confer with myself. I say, oh, captain, my captain. These words, they they fester. These words, they are trapped in my head, in my mind, in my skull. I feel zapped in. Oh, captain, my captain, what is it that's happening? They bleed from my thoughts to this canvas, this page. Like this pen is my mentor, this paper's my stage. To archive my hatred, report on my rage. So my worries transferred from my thoughts to my wage. So I ask to yours truly, I say, O leader, my leader, what is it I give her, what is it I feed her? Though she haunts my insides, I feel somewhat I need her as she walks and she whispers, where is it I lead her? She lingers like fog on a field in the autumn, I'm full of conditions, she's thrown and I've caught them, I ought to throw back to regurg and retort them, but this illness is comfort, something that I've sought in. And there's that final reply. Oh poet, my poet, I'm your favourite disease and I know that you know it, I'm that wordsmith inside you that's burning to show itself, so this title you bear unto you, I bestow it. Call your captain, oh captain, yes I'm caged and I'm trapped in. Shout your leader, oh leader, yet these words find a reader. Your resistance is futile, above I lie, not below it. Oh captain, oh leader, oh poet, my poet. A big shout out and thank you to Ryan Tomlin for his piece there. This episode's guest is the fantastic Tyrone Lewis and it was in the pipeline for a very, very long time. Obviously COVID, etc. got in the way, but we finally made it happen and it was worth the wait. We got to talk about all things poetry, including his amazing collection out on Burning Eye Books called Blackish. So I am very excited about this episode's guest. Uh, we were just talking and saying... We've been trying to get this together for some time to, to sit down, but, you know, COVID has changed everything. But here we are uh, via the magic of Zoom. I'm with the poetry powerhouse, the brilliant Tyrone Lewis. Thank you so much for sitting down and chatting. Again, thank you very much for having me. Like, I'm sorry it's taken this long, but glad to finally be doing it. Good things come to those who wait, I'm told. So let's, uh, let's get into this. Your collection, Blackish, uh, came out on Burning Eye Books in 2019. When I when I read that today, I couldn't believe it was so, that long ago. It feels like it was it was only the other day it, that I read it first time. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna chat about that. Um, but before that, how are you? How how's lockdown treating you? 
Um, lockdown is going as okay as it can be. Um, I'm very aware that I'm the kind of person that always likes to be busy and it's taken till this stage in all of the pandemic and all of lockdown when I've got to like, I don't have much else I can do anymore now. So I think that's what's got me. But the fact that I've managed to make it till almost a year when I've gone like, I'm finally done now is, is impressive. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear that. I, um, I'm constantly going, no, I'll be fine. I, I can potter around. I can, you know, watch this film, do that, write, write a little bit here. But yeah, it's got to that point now where I think we just need the world to go back to normal, don't we? I like to start in sort of chronological order, uh, get a flavour of your poetic journey, as it were. Can you remember or pinpoint, not the first time that, that you wrote something, but the first time you became aware of poetry? I can remember it very well. I'm, it's the story I've, I am very familiar with in as much as I got into poetry and I'll keep saying this, I got into poetry by accident. I never meant to do poetry. That was never the plan. Um, The story pretty much goes when I was 13 in that summer, my mum signed me up for some courses at the roundhouse because summer holidays need to do something with the kid, et cetera, sends me to the roundhouse and she signed me up for a video editing course there because I've always been very media focused and wanted to do something along those lines. But when I got to the roundhouse, um, because of how they um, register for all their courses and everything, they'd got too many people from my course and they couldn't physically have all of us on that course. So on this day of this was meant to be week long, course like yeah you can't do it because there's too many people and we can't have everyone so who who is okay with doing something different and because I wasn't that committed to the course like cool I'll do something different what else have you got they mentioned there's a poetry course and it's like I didn't hate writing I'll go and do that course so I walk in there this is now like half an hour into the day of courses and whatnot so things have started now I walk into this room and it's just Jacob Samler Rose and no one else in the room. So I am the only person there for this course right now in poetry. And it's like, I didn't even plan to do poetry. And now it's just me and the teacher. Okay, this is going to be a weird start to the day. But I fell in love with poetry then. I then came back every day that week to do it. I even grabbed a couple of friends to come and join me during that that week-long course. And then I just kept doing poetry. And it's now been, oh, 13, no, more than 13. I don't know how old I am. It's been 15 years, fucking hell. Um, It's been like 15 plus years of doing it. And I got into it, like I said, by accident. Oh, this is cool. I'm going to keep doing this. Yeah, I love that. I love the accidents that actually pan out to to have some good at the end of it. So, I mean, you've answered the, the next question there. That I, I usually ask what triggered the transition from when you first became aware to writing, but obviously you fell in love with it through the course. So you felt the need to just keep writing. Yeah, and like what I so what I always miss in that story, and I think is especially in the going falling love it, it was good to always mention is that that course was a week long course, and I loved that, and it was great. And then I wanted to do more, and I wanted and I loved it, but I didn't hear about there being a course starting for term time, so I'd missed that course happening. So I very easily could have missed all these extra courses but I happened to be walking past the roundhouse as the course was coming out one evening and I met up with Jacob again it's like oh you're here again wait the poetry thing's still going on after the summer 
Oh, okay then. So like, there was definitely a moment when, like I loved that first week because like, I wanted to do more of it, but I didn't know where to go from there until I bumped into Jacob again. And it's like, oh, this is still happening. Okay, now I'm going to make a point of actually doing it. Yeah. So how how long have you, you... You said you've been writing, did you say 15 years now? Yeah. How yes. long How long was it before... Because uh, I think a lot of people know you for your performances of the poetry on stage. How long was it before you actually got onto a stage and started trying out some of this, the poems that you'd been writing? Um, it was that first week. Um, wow. In as much as when I started doing, like when I started doing poetry with Jacob, because Jacob works with both spoken word and page poetry and however you how you want to divide it yeah. um the week was working on writing and crafting poetry but also a bit of stage technique because at the end of that week there was a showcase right and okay. it's like cool so, so like so my exposure to poetry was you write poetry and yes you focus on the writing but then at some stage you will also share it out loud so that was my first exposure to it so i've always been performing in that sense so it was it was a real sort of baptism of fire, but in, in a positive way. Yeah, amazing. I was going to ask, it, yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask you about uh, slam, which is something you you've covered quite a lot, quite inten- uh, intensively on your uh, video editing side of, of things, because you did a you did a was it a documentary or mini documentary on sort of open mic, and then you did one on slam. Uh, yes, I did. Yes. So slam. How important would you say Slam has been uh, with your own sort of poetic career? Because uh, it's, it's, it's something that gets brought up a lot when I, when I chat to poets and it seems like there is a lot of conflict around Slam and you're usually the guy behind the camera asking the poets what they think of Slam. So I thought <laughs> I'll turn it around. Um, how important would you say it's been informing your poetic output and creating the Tyrone Lewis we see on stage? Oh, um me personally it's been very influential for me um part of that is just the practicalness of slams gave me a chance to perform in places so that was the thing but it also there has been obviously winning some slams has helped a little bit and all that kind of stuff i will not to play modest i don't want to play too modest because i'm a vain person as well i'm not going to try and downplay it and anything like that yeah. but Especially like up until I was 25 or so, the slams that I was taking part in, and if I won one for that, it didn't actually help my career winning a slam in as much as it didn't lead me to any X, Y, or Z afterwards. But it was good to perform there, get my poetry out there, meet people, and like it was easy to make a community there. And especially when I started, there weren't as prevalent and open, there wasn't as prevalent an open mic scene as there is now so it was a slams or thankfully because i had jacob sam Lawrence and his connections it was workshops via that but like i won the roundhouse slam when i was 18 which was incredible and great and lovely to put on the cv yeah. and especially because of how the roundhouse slam has grown since then it's such a massive thing when i won it it wasn't that big a thing and i'm very aware it's now been it's better on my cv as more people have done it and won it so almost slam has helped my career retroactively in that when you mention to someone oh the roundhouse slam now they see it as such this massive big one to a thing and like you've got people from all across the country doing it etc when i first did the roundhouse slam it was just about getting outside of london if that and when i did win it i went to uni the summer after yeah. so i didn't able, was able to really use any of the win because i've won it now i'm gonna go to bournemouth and start again <laughs> 
Yeah, was was there much of a poetry scene in Bournemouth? Every time I've been to Bournemouth, it seems like quite a, a sleepy sort of town area. Um, there definitely is a poetry scene there that's growing now. And I, I can think of some wonderful Bournemouth and Paul-based poets. I'd be remiss not to mention Miriam San Marco. Um, they are a wonderful poet and a wonderful human being. Um, but I met them in London, so it was just weirdness in that sense. But... <laughs> When I went to Bournemouth, because I was there for uni and my uni course was television production, I ended up focusing on the uni course more than the poetry side of things. So I missed out on the burgeoning poetry scene there, but I'm reliably informed and keeping an eye on the fact, oh, it's growing bigger and bigger. And like I've seen things like Unislam when they've sent, I don't think it was Bournemouth University, I think it was um, AUCB. But one of the Bournemouth universities came down to represent at Unislam. So, okay, cool. There are poets in Bournemouth. That is happening. I just didn't interact with them much. Yeah. Seems to be uh, some... Because, I mean, everyone talks about London as being uh, the biggest and possibly the best, depending on on what you want out of a poetry scene. Um, But through doing this, I've discovered, you know, like Nottingham, there's a really thriving poetry scene in especially pockets of the Midlands, like Derby and that. So it's cool to hear that there's one in Bournemouth as well. We've sort of spoke a little bit about already through Slam, but labels is something I love asking people about because there's so many labels in in poetry. I mean, you've mentioned already page poet and people say, oh, well, so-and-so's a Slam poet or no, I'm just a poet that does Slam and Slam's just a performance element and people talk about slam poetry as well do you think do you think there is well it's subjective but in your opinion do you think slam poetry is a thing or do you think it's just poetry that is performed in a certain way um oh i think i i will attribute it to katie ailes and i think they summed it up easiest in that you can perform whatever poem you want to in a slam. Slam will accept any poem. You're not going to be told not to compete in a slam if you perform a different type of poem. But there are types of poems that will more often than not win slams is more yeah. the thing. So like, I don't think there is a specific slam poet. It just It's geared to more of a high energy feelings on the surface level kind of po- poetry. And that will therefore bring out its own style in that sense. But beyond that I don't think it's necessarily like a slam poet more each poet will have poems that are more geared to work in a slam in the same way that poets might have a poem oh this will work better in my collection than it when it than it will reading out loud and yeah. that kind of thing yeah and labels are a funny thing I, I spent a long time opening up this podcast labeling myself as an aspiring poet and I, I, I thought to myself recently at what point do I class myself as a poet? <laughs> it's it's which which barrier am I waiting to go through? Like, is it getting published in this publication or having your own collection or what is it? I should just call myself a poet, I imagine. I've had, I've, I've been on stage, I've done some poems, people have enjoyed them and shared them. That I guess that means poet, doesn't it? Oh, no, fully. And like, I was talking to, was it Dan Simpson about this not that long ago? And I think also like, I think with labels and for that, I think it's more the idea of marketability in as much as when you're going to different places, yeah. selling yourself in that sense, rather than in your own scene, what you're describing yourself as almost like, we're all poets, so we're all poets, but it's like, cool, how do I, they're not saying how, how do I separate myself from the rest or anything like that, but that level of, cool, I need to figure out what I want to do next. And if my, I need to look at my poetry and think, oh, my poetry fits into, 
like music, my poetry fits into this genre, whether this genre work best and stuff like that, I think is more the thing for labels rather than anything else. And similarly with that, like with music, again, you're not, it's not like, oh, I've written one comedy poem. All my poems now must be comedy from here on out. You can change and it's not something you're wedded to. Yeah, I've been watching uh, recently, I think I sent you, uh, a, a random DM on Instagram, the uh, the poet reacts videos that you've been putting together. This is a really round the houses way of, of asking this next question. But um, I, I recently, the Eurovision <laughs> one was was one of my favourite ones purely because I absolutely loved the Eurovision uh, and all its silliness. But you included Verka, Verka from uh, Ukraine, who was um, he was robbed that year. He comes second. Um, <laughs> I, I think if I remember rightly, it was Serbia that beat them, and they had one of the big really elaborate power ballads just one person on stage <laughs> how how does that top that anywho if you haven't seen it go and check it out on youtube uh, <laughs> poets react it's good fun but um i think it was at the end of one of those you talk about uh sort of this idea of a european slam uh and and whether it's a good idea i think you put it to the poets um, and and watching one of the other videos you did the react button poetry poets react to you can really see the sort of us slam scene at the top of it there through button poetry can't you do you think a world stage for slam would 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 work because they are so different european uk and us slam do you think we'd be able to sort of share a stage um i have seen attempts at international slams whether it be european-wide or worldwide i have seen people trying that kind of stuff and i love the idea of it yeah i think in practice it can get a little bit i guess one of the things that came up in the answers which i wasn't able to properly edit down for my poets react episode is that obviously the idea that unlike with eurovision which is music and music you can almost get away with not hearing the lyrics poetry you need to so when you get into a world slam you have the idea of different languages and how do you judge them when they've got the different languages and different contexts that come into that and you have to have a judging panel that is comfortable understanding Japanese as it is understanding English yeah, as yeah. it is understanding French etc so in that sense it's difficult the don't sense as well and going back to the earlier topic of that idea of like Poetry in London is different to poetry in Nottingham, to different to poetry in Manchester, to poetry in Edinburgh, to poetry in Glasgow, to poetry in Birmingham, Torquay, etc. How you even have a UK poet and someone that represents that, and I'm fully aware that I'm saying that, though I still have the moniker of UK Poetry Slam champion, which is <laughs> another thing there, but it is the idea if you can't, what is the one thing to represent this country is a difficult one in its own yeah. right, let alone when you then may take it worldwide. I think it would be good to get more of a network up when poets can connect other people. And that's seemingly starting to happen in this Zoom era of poetry gigs. I've seen people getting onto open mic nights in London, going into open mic nights in Toronto, et cetera, stuff like that because of the Zoomness. Yeah. So I think stuff like that is really great. I think I like the idea of a world slam, but I feel like in practice, it would be like most other world series things when it's like, it's a world series, which is just America and England kind of thing. <laughs> I feel like that's going to end up being poetry's thing. Cause just, cause it's the shared language that most people know. Yeah. I, I would like to go and see some, some slam uh, in other countries when, when the world returns to them. I think I've, Harry Baker, I've seen speak about uh, European slams before and they, they do sound, they sound fun. Uh, Demi Anta when she she was on again that wouldn't have been possible without 
the pandemic and Zoom. But yeah, when when I was chatting to her, she she was talking about open mics in Berlin in particular. But they sound no, they sound like good fun. We could dream big when we when we can fly again. <laughs> so you talk about uh, you've spoken about Roundhouse and Roundhouse seems to be a a bit of a a, a goldmine for producing and nurturing poets. Um, I, you know, I've spoken to Jess Green before. She's only got good things to say about it. I've got Cecilia Knapp coming on later on this series alongside yourself. What was what was it that made the whole experience with the Roundhouse so special? Because there are a lot of workshops out there now, and and a lot of uh, you know schemes you can get involved with. But it just mm-hmm. seems like the Roundhouse has something there something magical what what was it for you that i mean the joke answer is the roundhouse does it for me because it's 10 minutes away from my house like that's <laughs> i thought you were gonna say that you're a north london uh north london <laughs> lad aren't you yeah yeah camden boy born and bred so yeah, roundhouse is perfect for me it's like so like i can just walk home from here that was great um yeah. a serious answer like like london has like the two biggest places in london for poetry and this is for, at least for youth poetry whatever the hell you want to call youth poetry are slash were the roundhouse and the barbican those are the two biggest things for it and both of those unsurprisingly were spearheaded by jacob samuel rose so mm. first and foremost for any poetry in london to that level jacob samuel rose was the genesis of it just he did so much for creating those establishments that have then built from that and i say built from there because he was the person like he was the first person to do the roundhouse poets first person to do barbican young poets and seeing the poets that have come through that you've got ashlyn farhi antos wojcik um and shire came from roundhouse and like looking at how incredible and how far she's got just from coming roundhouse like dean atta came from roundhouse caleb femi came from not came from roundhouse but came through roundhouse at some point like so many people have been connected to roundhouse and it all was because jacob set it up but then from there roundhouse have been i think listening to artists and finding similar people in that sense like roundhouse's um tutors have been jacob sam larose polar bear Bogdan Piazetsky, Bridget Minimore, Cecilia Knapp, um, Debbie Stevenson. Like they've had some incredible poets attached to it and they find mm-hmm. really good poetry tutors. Cause like there were some incredible poets out there but not all of them are great teachers and Roundhouse puts in the effort to like, no, we can find people that know this craft and can teach this craft really well. Yes, that's, I mean, the names you've just reeled off there, that is incredible uh, to think that so many so many of those names have, like you said, either been started there or, or come through the roundhouse. Uh, very, very slow to the uptake. I read, um, you mentioned Caleb Femi. Uh, I read Poor, what was it? Maybe just before Christmas, but what a collection that is. Um, yeah, unbelievable. Talking of collections, this this gem. Um, yes, blackish. Blackish. Uh, as I said, 2019. I cannot believe it's been that long um, on Burning Eye Books. Is, was that your first collection or first full collection that was published? First, first collection, like not my first published thing because literally earlier in that year I had one poem published in a spoken word anthology book but this is the first full collection this is the first thing like I don't send so before you get into it fully I don't send things out to be published I am the poet that never submits to anything I have not submitted to magazines articles any of that stuff so blackish was the first thing I put out there right um I had an inkling you were going to say that because it was Imogen Sterling that uh, she was in London 
and I think it was your launch or one of your launches at events in London uh, and I think she'd come down for that and something else and I, I met her at King's Cross in a pub and, and we sat down and recorded an episode but that's when um, you were on my radar thanks thanks Imogen and I'm so glad she mentioned that she was going because obviously I went away and I looked on Burn and I thought oh yeah I'll, I'll give that a go and as I said absolutely loved it um it explores a few things doesn't it I, I suppose as it says on the back it's it's about identity and and figuring out what makes you you uh and it does it through you know going themes of family race relationships um it's this melting pot and navigates this melting pot of ideas doesn't it for, for anyone who hasn't read it how how would you describe this collection? You know, I my go to is always describing it as it, is, you know, it tackles identity in different ways. Whether it is your racial identity, your familial identity, um, your like what makes you you, and I and I look at it through, again, obviously through the guise of me, but like the things that make me me. So I am a black man, but that doesn't mean I'm pigeonholed into one thing or another. Just like, but that is a part of my racial identity also part of my identity but then you've also got my family and how that affects my identity and then you've also got just my general upbringing just different things and how they all affect me and hopefully then get people to include okay cool I've got this part of me and that part of me and that part of me and they all make me as a whole I'm not just this one thing yeah so I could literally sit and bend your ear about quite a few of the poems in there. I, I write a list down of poems I'd really like to talk about. And then when it gets to the recording, I have to whittle it down on the spot. But, you know, poems like The Dark Side, My Dinner with Gary, Mum Poem, All Grown Up, Life Moves Pretty Fast, Grind My Gears, Man Walks Into Bar, Britain's Got Talent, Blackish, just a handful of the incredible work that you'll find in there. Uh, I think for me, having The Dark Side early on was brilliant because I've... I can't think of the top of my head anyway of a collection I've read that it is very clear the poet is as much as a film nerd as I am as well. So <laughs> I absolutely loved it. I mean, from from a trivial side side of it, it's the Star Wars references, but just just turning Star Wars on its head like that and talking about you know the the issues that we still have with you know how especially black communities are represented in in the media and things like that i wondered if you could talk a little bit about that poem especially i've started teaching a-level film as well so i'm keen to talk about film poems <laughs> um so as so i think i put the dark side and sherlock in a very sim similar conversation in as much as both of them were the idea of i had a really really stupid joke with Sherlock, especially because Sherlock was, I want to make Samuel Jackson a black, a black Sherlock Holmes because that would be funny as hell. And similarly as well, that there was also a conversation at some point of like, what would happen if Luke Skywalker was black? And a lot of my poems start from this is just a really, really dumb idea that could potentially just be a tweet. But then if I think about that idea for long enough, I said, actually, no, I've got a story to tell here, and actually, yeah. what would that look like? And I think the thing that pushed me to definitely do the dark side poem one i did it during um, napo rimo and i just had to write stuff down anyway and i made a point that napo rimo which would have been 2016 napo rimo where to keep me going through it all of my poems were going to be titled after a film or tv reference which is where the dark side just to give me some way of kicking it off but then what fully pushed that was dana smith and their book black movie and this idea of dealing with black characters and whatnot and 
then coming to Star Wars and it's like, no, let's try and make a black character in Star Wars and let's see what happens if Luke Skywalker is black and then just running away with that idea and just, okay, it's like that moment, like I effectively thought of the end of the poem first and the whole idea that if it's black man, he still doesn't have a dad. There's my story there. Now, if I go backwards, what else stays the same? Mm. And it's like, oh, that actually, it's, yeah, that was the genesis of it. And it's like, oh, this actually works and actually is not a dumb idea as I think it would be. Yeah, no, it, it was great. As I said, there's also a really uh, clear a bond that, you know, you, you explore with your mum through certain poems. But I, and I, I looked, obviously looks back over the collection again uh, when we set this date uh, down for, for the recording this and I reread My Dinner with Gary and it, it's just one of those poems where I just put the book down and go, wow, like, like I don't know how you've, how you've bottled all of those intense, it's the intensity, the emotions into, into that concise piece of work. Um, I felt like I'd swallowed a stone by the end of it. It's the way it ends as well, that, that sort of scene that it ends on. A great poem for linking to this idea of identity. And I felt like reading that, it's kind of your family shapes you regardless of whether you like it or not, regardless of whether they're present in your life or not. They, they end up having a big impact on who you are. How was was that a difficult poem to write? Was that one that took quite a time to get right, or was that one of those poems where it just sort of come out in a burst? Um, so my cheat answer for this, if you will, is the fact that I joke with other poets that every poet only has eight different poems, and we just write those eight different poems over and over and over and over again in different forms. <laughs> and it's simplifying it too much, but it's the idea like, cool, I have a mum poem, I have a dad poem, I have a black poem, and I just write that poem different ways all the time. So with my dinner with Gary, it's the level of I've written about my dad a few times. I could have had a whole collection on poems about my, my dad in some ways. So hard in that sense, it was almost the level of like, this is now draft number 50. There is technically a new poem because I've got another dad poem here, which is called something else. And it focuses on a different aspect of it. Yeah. I've got another dad poem here, which is on a different aspect of it. So in that sense, it wasn't hard because I'd already done the groundwork of it in that sense. But yeah. it was hard in, but it still was hard to write it and figure out exactly how I'm doing it. And especially because as you as kind of alluded to, lots of my poems have my film references and TV references, etc. Forcing myself and tra- challenging myself with that poem to be like, no, I'm writing about a moment here. This poem yeah. is just about one moment and it's about a day that happened. And I'm just writing that. And can I make that interesting without going into tangential reference aside and coming back? No, can I just st- stick to writing about this moment? And that was the challenge that it seems like I have managed to work. Well, no, hundred percent. And if it, I think it's a really good example of um, one of those poems that you can almost, as you're reading it, hear so clearly. You doing it on stage, it's you just know if you did it on stage, you'd be able to hear a pin drop at points because people would be 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 so into it. Yeah, life uh, moves pretty fast. Got me thinking about. I mean, it, it, again, it's a perfect poem, sort of same sort of thing about capturing a moment, uh, isn't it? But vivid memories more more uh, in particular, because I always think to myself, 
I think back to things and I'm like, right, I've got this memory. How much of that memory is fact? And how much have I constructed in the retelling of this story? Like, again, now I'm approaching 30, I think back to things that happen. I'm like, I don't know if that is the way it happened, but <laughs> I love that poem, how it, it talks about, you know, I want to remember this, this moment and little things. Britain's Got Talent is one I think uh, would be good to, to hear you talk a little bit about. <laughs> I mean, this it's, it's almost, I don't know, it was a mixture of emotions reading that, but I, I suppose the thing I took from it was how we are constantly distracted from facing the truth, especially in this country. So Britain's Got Talent is one of the ones I'm the, almost the clearest on how that idea came to be. I remember exactly how that came Amazing. up. Amazing. In that, that was um, that was when I was with an ex of mine. At, um, ex was is uh, was is I don't know the test of this. Nevertheless, ex <laughs> is German, and um, during the relationship, we were just talking about stuff, and obviously you come into like different cultural things you don't connect with or don't, references that they don't understand etc and I remember one night we were talking about the tv show gladiators and she did not know gladiators had, had never heard of it <laughs> and any of that and it's just that, and that, that level of like most things I'm okay with and that, but it's like you've never heard of gladiators okay let's 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 go into this <laughs> but that then led to me going on Facebook just doing literally just generic Facebook status of what would you say is quintessentially British and then just innocuous Facebook status like that had I came back and it had like 70 different comments and it's like okay people got into that one <laughs> and so whilst like not all of them came from that Facebook post and obviously I personalized I made things more interesting and more of an image etc but I did get things like the comments I was getting was like colonialism is British etc and stuff like that but I also got people saying like making a cup of tea is British and like so many things like that it's like different realm what is British just in a Facebook post and it's like well you've already given me an idea for a poem here thank you Facebook you, like, you didn't even try to but that is a perfect list poem that I can now edit and make my own and do all of that with just from an innocuous face from innocuous conversation that started about gladiators then went to Facebook then became I can write a good poem about this now uh, that's that is why I love poetry uh, just those those conversations that spark what what when you read that it is, you know, big idea. You can read into it quite a lot, and it started from, as you said, gladiators. But I do love, I do love how uh, that poem, as you said, you've got these these things like crumpets and tea and scones, and then it just dips into this dark past that uh, a lot of British people either don't know about or choose to to ignore. Um, and then you sort of lace it back over with some more like. Uh, you know tea and crumpets and stuff no it's, it's great i think i've got on in a shoebox somewhere if i find it i'll send you a picture a, a signed wolf photo i think nice. from, from when i was about seven or eight i'm sure i'm sure my uncle met him and got him to sign it for me there you go random information um <laughs> <laughs> grinds my gears is, is a good one and it's one uh when i said to a few people are uh, I'm sitting down with Tyrone Lewis. I said, oh, he's got that poem online, Grind My Gears. I said, yeah, that's, um, that seems to get a lot of love from that one. Is that <laughs> is that one that you do quite often when you're is that, oh, like in your sets? Yeah, that, that comes up quite a lot. Like, if like it's my, it's my go-to one when I'm not performing to a poetry audience. Like, when it's just random people that aren't used to poetry, I definitely will bust that one out. So it's fun bringing that poem to there. And it's like, we need to lighten up the mood a little bit. And this poem will lighten up the mood a little bit. It's just... It's just I, I just like it as a fun, different poem, and also I can just get really into it. 
it's one of my favorite poems to perform because one of the things I love to do when I'm performing is talk to the audience even if it's midway through a poem like yeah. because of how many references are in there and if people laugh or smile or whatever a reference I can stop the poem talk to that person it's like cool you got the reference let's let's have a whole very fun <laughs> stupid conversation about it midway through the poem then I'll get back into performing it and I love that interaction and that poem lets me do that so much and I love because I I love the live performance of stuff because live performance, the idea, this is the only time you're going to see this like this. And the fact that that poem can change each night is something I love and that poem lets me do that. And it was just, hey, as so many of my poems, was a dumb idea to start it off because literally <laughs> a couple of years back, there was a, I want to say in the span of two weeks, just because it was September-ish time, so people were coming like, over for uni and whatnot, going to open mic nights you start to meet new people because then you come to uni you find your open mic night because you're into poetry it's like cool I can meet a new crowd here I met like five or six new poets that month or whatever week or whatever and within the first five minutes of me meeting them they mentioned they were all vegans and I don't know why that came up or how it came up and the fact that they, none of them knew each other just be like this is an interesting thing that you've put in the like first five minutes of introducing yourself to a new person that I can't not let go and have to make a poem about now and that then became what the poem is yeah it's no it's great it's great it does it does make me laugh and and again it's got the uh film references in the spider-man spider-man references as well um i'd have to agree with you the uh, into the spider-verse was was not bad not bad um i suppose the last poem really you should talk about i don't want to talk about all of them obviously if you want people to go and read them themselves but the uh the title poem blackish um again a, a phenomenal piece of work um and i've i've not seen that one live i've, I've seen a you do it online i think you've got a, a youtube clip of it I mean, you wrote that some time ago, I imagine, but still as relevant today um, as it was the day you penned it, I imagine. Yeah, like I think if memory serves, and, and like thankfully you've picked the poems that you do remember when I wrote them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I think I remember writing that poem on the train up to Edinburgh in like 2017 just because I had it was a five-hour train it was like I need to do something on this train ride so let's try and so yeah just just try and write something and like the long and short of it is and I'm going to get in touch with the whole collection is that I had for the longest time just not addressed my blackness in poetry in as much as I couldn't think of what to say about it and I've heard so many other poets write some beautiful poems about being black I've heard some poets write cliche poems about being black I've heard some poets write, write bad poems about being black etc I've heard the whole spectrum of it and for the longest time I wasn't sure what I could contribute to that conversation because it's either because like we're going like I was almost talking about earlier the level like we've all had the same few poems and like what am I adding to this am I adding anything new that hasn't been said why are you mm -hmm. listening to my poem rather than a Caleb Femi poem or a Bridget Minimal poem not to say that my style is like them but a level of you look at how Caleb writes and his style of writing it's like he's written about this black experience so well and it's so powerful and not that you want to compare yourself to other poets but almost there was obviously sometimes a little bit of like well he's written a good black poem read his poem don't read mine read his because his is a very good one yeah so it was trying to figure out what my or am I adding to that conversation and 
eventually on that train ride to Edinburgh, I was realizing um, it was blackish and it was remembering the fact that I have a somewhat unique take on being black and that my mum was adopted into a white family in Norwich when she was born. My dad left when I was born, so therefore my family is basically me and my mum and then her adopted white family. That is what I've grown up with. And it's like, you look at it and say, okay, okay, maybe I have a more unique take on blackness than I felt I did in the past. And it was then exploring that and the idea that sometimes I don't feel black and sometimes I do feel black. And like, if anything, it's more people are telling me that I'm black rather than I'm feeling black and just writing about that and trying to figure out how I can get into it. And that I think that's worked well and not that it's about trying to talk to allies or anything like that. But I think a lot of people have kind of in hearing that whilst I don't again I don't think I like I don't think most poetry audiences are racist. I don't think I think there are racist elements in society that people can never escape, but I don't think poetry audiences are racist. But I think when people hear that poem it's a little bit like, oh, okay, cool. No, maybe actually I make people feel blacker than normal kind of thing by addressing it and sometimes it can be fine because we embrace our heritage but sometimes it can be a whole thing of like I didn't even pay attention to the color of my skin until people made the color of my skin a point mm. kind of thing yeah that's that's something as well with the um you've got these uh poems throughout black is haven't you first time um where you I think where you're talking to people about that very thing you just said you know when when the first time that they were made to to notice the color of the, the skin almost and some of those are like shocking and you read them i was thinking the one the one about the um the, is it the german boyfriend or partner uh although she was from cambridge and she was going oh yeah uh, yeah, yeah yeah um having the black boyfriend and that always were coming up yes yes yeah every time i read that i just think wow what's like in what world i mean that that would have made me feel uncomfortable in the 70s when everyone was talking <laughs> like that let alone whenever this was that you were talking to that person but yeah definitely well well, well the, the, the quick fun fact for you none of those stories are real except mine right okay. all of those stories are like so the thing i like mentioning that was like that was basically me looking at this book because it was my first collection my chance to go like i can do whatever i want to in this book and like yeah. i growing up with a media background like so i've write scripts sometimes too i can do scripts and characters so fuck it if i'm gonna have my own collection <laughs> i will also have me flex on some script writing muscles and do a <laughs> but, couple of monologue stuff i mean yeah kudos to you because but that that's that's the, the sad harrowing thing i guess mm -hmm. um I didn't know whether they were made up or they were real. I've just assumed they were real because of, um, you know, the, the state of the media and growing up in a working class community, you, you know, there was a lot of that that I heard growing up. And I, I feel like me and a couple of my mates, we were kind of the odd ones out in that we would just have no part in that. But it was still sad to see it happening all around you with people that actually you quite liked that you grew up with, you know, people down your street that you just call uh, Uncle Terry or whatever. Uh, and then all of a sudden you get to an age where you notice race because they are spouting this hate about race and you think, but you're Uncle Terry, what's going on here? This is, yeah, it, it made me think all, all sorts. But yeah, credit to you. They, they are powerful. That point you just spoke about as well, I, I hear you so much with that, where you, you're thinking, what can I add to this conversation? I think 
as you said, and it's a good point. I never really heard anyone say it before. You've got eight po- poems that you write in yeah. different ways. Um, <laughs> definitely working class, growing up in a working class uh, estate. That's something that a lot of my poetry talks about. And I always think, let's take Caleb Femi, for example, read, reading Paul, you think, well, what am I going to add to this conversation that, that he hasn't already said about growing up on an estate and you read people like Jamie Frasavulu and I think well what am I going to add to that but but yeah I, I you're not alone in that feeling I'd like to talk about your writing process uh, towards the end of this conversation because I think it's so interesting how everyone has their own way of doing things um, so in terms of generating ideas I mean you, you kind of spoke about that already but are yours just these little ideas you have and then you you stew on them and then they turn into poems because you've said a few times you know it could have just been a tweet um very much so for me like um i am in if you will a privileged position in the video editing is my full-time job that is what pays my bills that is what i arguably love or enjoy the most that is my monday to friday that is my career poetry is the hobby on the side and whilst obviously I don't want to downplay myself in that it's almost more than a hobby at this stage. I've got the book. I have been doing tours. I have freaking how many open mic nights I was either hosting or some level involved with, etc. whether officially or unofficially. So like, I can't say it wasn't close to a career, but it's always been in many ways a hobby. Mm. And with that, it means that with my poetry, I have no obligation to write. So whenever I'm thinking of ideas, it will be, I can write whatever idea I want to write. So with that, it'll be, I've thought of something for a few days, weeks, months, whatever. Oh, that's a cool one. Let's try and do that rather than having to like keep churning out commissions for anything. And not to mention, well, obviously because I'm in a very, yes, I've worked to get to a position where I am in poetry and become some level of a name. Again, nowhere near household name, No, almost no poet is a household name, but in the scene, I am not unknown, which is good and gives me a nice safety net of I can, as I have done this year, not write and I'm not falling out of people's memory or anything like that. Yeah. But because I've got to that position, it means that I don't have to keep trying to write to get through the door somewhere to open these doors. I know so many poets that are incredible, but haven't fallen into the right door, haven't come in front of the right person yet to get them the next stage. Whereas I've managed to, whether luck or talent or timing or whatever, got to some of these places, which means I have the affordability that I don't need to be pressured to write all the time. So it will be on a train ride, I think of an idea or I start writing a tweet and tweet sticks with me for a day, month, whatever it can, and all that kind of stuff. It can be, I go to a poetry night and this, okay, this this one happens less often, but it has happened. That thing of, I go to a poetry night, I hear a poem and go, I can write that poem better than you did. And I'll try (laughs) and write the the new version of the poem. Like it's so, (laughs) it's not competitive, competitive, but it's that level of like, oh, you've written about being black. It's like, I see like the idea is great, but I can push that further. I can do something that like, some of it can be inspiration just going from a tangent. Some of it can be that I can rewrite your poem better. Not like you never say it to the person that like <laughs> anything like that, but like, like in your head, it's a little bit of like, oh, that's a good, like, it's like when poets steal lines from the poets. It's like, oh, that's a good line that I can take in this way and change it a little bit and then start spark a whole other idea here and that kind yeah. of stuff. Like, it's with all creators, we all steal from each other all the time, whether it's 
it's sometimes just inspiration steal, sometimes it's full on the, that's a good line. And taking that, I will call it a reference and go from that. And just, there's there's a lot of that that comes to it. But yeah, for me, it's I've got the luxury that I can tackle whatever idea I want to without the pressure of having to keep yeah. putting stuff out all the time. Well, you've, you've answered the next question there. I usually ask if, <laughs> uh, if you dedicate time to writing or you have a bit of a routine, but obviously it sounds like with you, it is when you've got those long train rides or if, if you're inspired on the spot. Do you find form something that you play with much in your writing? I know uh, I, I spoke to poets who, you know, they, they have a particular form that they love writing, like a sonnet or things like that. I've spoken to poets who have looked at me when I've talked about form and gone, jog on, mate. <laughs> I just write. I just do what I do. Um, but, yeah, it's always interesting to hear, you know, if you experiment with form and if you do, what, what forms do you find? most interesting to write i very much appreciate the idea of forms i love that and i in as has been the case for all this podcasting i will keep name dropping people because that's what i do (laughs) and it would be remiss of me not to name drop um the i am loud crew up in um scotland um they have just recently after getting some funding made an incredible series of youtube videos talking about form which is being taught by dr katie ailes who is an incredible human being who has got a whole phd on spoken word and just katie is just a wonderful person and with the loud with the whole loud team they have got some really professionally made videos on youtube about poets writing in form and they've got some of their bet some of the best poets in Scotland working with them to a show you an example of a concrete poem and then they'll have Katie Ailes then give you a half hour YouTube video on here's how you write concrete poems etc which is so invaluable so I love the idea of form I love people doing form I don't know <laughs> I don't play <laughs> around the form that much um the form I play around with most is I love a list poem Poets often shit on list poems. I will write list poems till the day I die. There are far too many list poems in Blackish, and I'm okay with every single one of them, including was it um, the short list of potential list poems? Because I love a list poem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was quite good. That one. So list poems, nice. I, I think they work well on stage as well. To be fair, list poems. I think they're good ones to perform. Editing is something I feel now that I've had so much time, uh, thanks to lockdown, that that I've not mastered but certainly got better at or perhaps I, I'm, I know what I'm looking for doing now but it's something I struggled with for a long 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 time e- editing poems and um, the question I like to ask is what is for you the first thing you do to a poem once it's written you, you've got it down in in its first sort of form and you put it away you come back to it what's your the first thing you would do as part of your editing process to that poem um one of the first things I do um, it's probably just say it out loud because I type badly. <laughs> I realize I've typed the wrong word way too often, and it's just like I don't know how I written the literally just the wrong word in places. And like mm. sometimes I'll be that, and like whilst obviously even for stuff that's going to be more page style or whatever you want to call it, I will still say it out loud just to make sure the sentences actually sound right, and so I can hear it back to myself and make sure because I as I think with everyone, like when you read over your own stuff, you can just completely skip over the fact that you spelt the word paint wrong, mm. actually spelt paint for some reason, and you've just not noticed it kind of thing. And then 
you get on stage and you'll end up saying the wrong word or stuff. So I just need to say it out loud is the main thing. Just hear it back to myself. Like once I've heard it, it's like, cool, I can understand it better. Yeah. And then from there, it will be open mic nights or slams. And because slams, especially because slams, I can get instant feedback from judges' scores. I'm like, cool, that poem went down well, or that poem did not go well. They did not like that poem. Could Good to know and whatever. <laughs> and like, that's an easy way of getting some instant feedback from there. And then depending on the poem, depending what it's for, there'll be friends to share it with and talk it through with them. But yeah, first and foremost, read it out loud to myself, make sure it sounds right and makes sense. Yeah. And then from there, potentially open mics performing in it and potentially using network of friends I have and just, cool, can you read my poem for me? And not even asking for extensive feedback, some level of, does this work? Does this make sense? Because in my head, it makes sense. Does it make sense to you too? Yeah, I think um, repeating words like like now, for example, I, I, one the other day, I, I put now in about four lines three times, <laughs> and it's like, how how did you think that was acceptable? Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely, yeah. I think I think reading it back does help. You you mentioned open night mics as a, a way of editing poems. Uh, I think I think that's a good way of doing it myself. I I, I always have to build up the. I suppose most people do the the courage to get up there though. You you run. Uh, am I right and say you run your own open mic night boomerang club, uh, or helped run it in London? Um, yes. So helped. So um, it's it was started off by Jake and Jake Wildhall and Joel Watterson. Um, I came on within the first year. I started off as a photographer, and then they were kind of like you keep coming to this and also you're just a good person and I host it with us. Mm. So I was hosting that with them. We then also brought um, the repeat beat poet, um, Peter Graf Johnson and Antonia King on board of us and work as well. And we were basically one being wearing it. It would have been six years, um, November just gone. Wow. So that is one of the things we do there though. We chose just because of, our own time and sanity we didn't want to take it online just because we needed a bit of a break from it and it just wasn't yeah the same for us we're probably going to be and when things open up again we'll look back into it and hopefully that'll still keep going but yeah, that's one of the ones i'm involved with i've also got the canada water open mic night which i run at the canada water library slash theater space there that one is very much a night that I host rather than a night that I produce or anything with, but it is a fun one to produce as part of their whole spoken word initiative they're doing. Yeah, I've been I've been to one of those. Um, I think I think I, I think I saw you there. It was before uh, Jess Green's yes. Corbin show. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, but that that was quite a nice a nice setting for it. It's quite a nice library, isn't it? On on the water and it seems pretty chilled. What are the what are the crowds like at, at Boomerang Club? Is it because a lot of these open mic nights you do get uh poets just watching poets. Do you get many sort of general public, so to speak, coming along and, and watching poetry? Uh, um I think just in general at most open mic nights you don't get general public there much. Like Boomerang, we had a healthy number of poeming there and poets watching poets. But what was good is that we had a fair few of our regulars that would be almost come there each month, no matter what, if they were performing or if they weren't performing. So that was definitely great. There were definitely a couple of like friends of friends that would come quite a lot. So they would be almost fact count as our non-poets coming. In terms of general public, 
when we moved to East London, we got a couple more new faces in there. But, and like, I think unless you are wanting a slam or a feature night, your audience is mainly going to be poets or yeah. poetry adjacent people. Yeah. So to wrap up the, the writing process section, it's that age old question. Uh, and I'm asking it in a, a different way now because I know the answer. <laughs> if I ask you, how do you know when a poem's finished? So I know the answer to that. Um, everyone says it's not because that's true. Mm. But for you, <laughs> when 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 comes that point when you decide I'm leaving that alone now? I don't actually know. Like I th- like obviously there's the editing side of it, and I think for me, like I've never been the most in- despite the day job of being a video editor, I have never been the most edit focused person in that sense like a lot of my editing comes down into like I write I, I self-edit when I'm writing I'm bad at doing it, a free write so I'm already editing lines a little bit in my head mm. um for me an edit comes when I just can't think of anything else to add to it yet and then and like one when I can't think of anything else to add to it and two the boring but realistic answers also level of the edit process is done when I've said I'm, I'm performing at this next event and the next events come up so I've got to perform it now yeah like um I haven't written much over this pandemic but the last poem I wrote was a poem called too black too furious and I the editing process for that one had to come down into I wrote it on the Tuesday because that Tuesday evening I was doing a podcast with Harry Baker yeah it's like well I have to have it done by that because I'm doing it on this podcast so that's <laughs> when that poem is edited and ready to go kind of thing I was gonna say so, yeah, uh, like deadlines of like the event is coming now yeah I heard I heard you on the Harry Baker podcast I thought that but it was a great poem do you feel you said you haven't written much in lockdown um and I've never asked this question before because you know we've never been in a lockdown for this long but do you feel lockdown has impacted your creativity I mean be it a positive or a negative way do you feel like it's had any sort of impact on your creative output um lockdown definitely shifted my creative output but that's more in terms of what I'm focusing on rather than anything else like um before all this happened I already knew that 2020 I was actively trying to like I need to take a break I've just been doing book tour in 2019 Mm. before I had another UK tour ahead of that because just I had so many gigs that came up and whatnot before that um, I've just been in general just doing lots of events I can have the two nights I'm hosting plus featuring all that so it's like 2020 was like was going to be the year I took a step back and took a break regardless yeah and this is just almost like hammered home no no you're you are taking a break from everything but what i've then done then is as a result of that being able to focus on other things so the poetry answer is i was able to do things like poets react and focus more on the video side of things yeah and i love documenting the scene and trying to figure out how i can document the scene whilst being in lockdown has been a fun challenge to try and get to in poets react I'm very happy with and like how I'm doing process production. I think I'm very happy with, and that's the wonderful poetry answer. The non-poetry answer, as I will crowbar into all of my podcasts, is I've been playing lots of Dungeons and Dragons and getting my <laughs> um, creative juices flowing by that and just having a chance to play on improv and play on storytelling. And like, it's again, like it's the whole thing of like, where do you get poetry from? What you count as a good thing for poetry and all that kind of thing. And like, Dungeons and Dragons have been a fun way of like, I get to 
play with three different groups. We're all doing collaborative storytelling and being improv together. And like, you can't tell me that doing improv and collaborative storytelling won't help your creativity and your stories and other mediums as well. Like, yes, this is fantasy and dragons and elves and magic and all that kind of stuff. But the quick wittedness to go with someone's just improv they're going to go into this tavern and start chatting up the bartender now i have to play the bartender and think <laughs> of their whole personality yeah. and all of that like skills that i get from that will be helpful for hosting and having to improv there and respond to people like it's a different form of creativity you're not going to be like oh i've now played dungeon dragons for six months again now i'm going to be a better poet straight away but <laughs> It's been using my creativity in a different way. It's been able to be enjoyable and not, I've not fallen into any place where like, I hate poetry, stop it now. Like I've not got there. So it's changed my creativity. It's changed a bit of my focus, this whole lockdown. But I think it's also a level of sign to like, I needed a break from stuff. I'm able to take a break. So hopefully when I get back to poetry in whatever shape or form that is, I'll be recharged because I've not grown to, grown bored of it just yet. Yeah. Oh, it sounds like it's broadened uh, the creativity of anything or certainly your approach to creativity. So I like to finish on the big, broad question. The, the reason I started doing the podcast um, was to talk to poets uh, about why they think, uh, especially in this country, we do, after all this time, still have such a love affair with poetry. Uh, a lot of people turn into poetry, I mean, especially during the lockdown, but even before the lockdown, weddings, events, things like that, people do turn to poetry, uh, which in, you know, 2021, 2020, 2019, it seems seems mad, such, this, uh, such an archaic form of, of language and literature, and yet here we are turning to poetry. Why do you think that is? Why do you think we have such a love affair with poetry still? I mean, the first answer that came to my head, which says way too much about me, is that you look at dating apps and the moment you mention you are a poet, suddenly your value skyrockets there, kind of thing. Like, <laughs> oh, poetry, like poetry. And like, like I will expand it to make it not a bad answer there. But like the idea, like there is a prestige that still comes in poetry and like it still has that kind of like, oh, poetry, that's kind of fancy kind of thing. And then especially when you can expand on it and go spoken word poetry, it's like, well, fancy, but also kind of really cool a little bit as well. And like, obviously not everyone is going to think that same view, but like poetry does hold some level of prestige to it by its name. Spoken word does have a little bit of excitement to it. And just in general, it is, it's wordplay, it's writing, it's storytelling. Like, storytelling has been going on for years, whether it's in movies, books, film, um, whatever. Like, storytelling has always been a thing, and poetry is just a different form of storytelling, and it will always be appreciated in that sense. The people will always like telling stories. People will always love a good bit of wordplay. You hear rap and how many great terms of phrases and wordplays and rhyming and all that there is in that you see um comedians and the great way they tell a joke tell a story and the way they can leave you there like storytelling is a just such an intrinsic part of human society and human nature and we all love storytelling and poetry is just a different form of that and it's also just a very nice condensed form of it that people like and the prestige can definitely put people off the artsy fartsy treasonous that poetry gets stigmatized or put people off but you also get the very important stuff like you see um oh my god i forgot her name amanda gorman i want to say poet inauguration this is going to be testing my 
keeping up to date with poetry. Jesus Christ, Tyro, finger on the pulse. Um, but like you see um, her on the inauguration and just like doing a poem and like that got so widespread because people like the idea of wordplay that they can understand, but it also tells a story. Um, you look at America's Got Talent recently and you've got Brandon Leak who just won America's Got Talent. I say just won, it was in like, September he won it but he won America's Got Talent doing spoken word poetry and it was just basically him doing storytelling storytelling to that higher level and that's why poetry is still going to be the thing and that it's a good way to tell a story it's entertaining yeah yeah I do I think you're right um it is story storytelling is sort of intrinsic isn't it to, to poetry I guess that's how it started way back when I've heard Tony Walsh speak about that sort of the passing on of stories uh, you know around a fire and how that grew and grew and grew but yeah when you your first answer to that reminded me of that Scroobius Pip line um <laughs> thou shall not use poetry to get into their pants use it to get into their heads yeah. there we yeah. go <laughs> what a way to wrap up <laughs> um where can people find you, Tyrone? Socials and stuff they want to keep up to date or watch your videos? As I have realised, I am insanely Google Google I don't know that phrase, but I you can find me on Google very easily. Like Tyrone Lewis Poetry, you can find my stuff. But if one in particulars, um, Tyrone Lewis 22 on Twitter, Tyrone Lewis 22 on Instagram, Tyrone Lewis Spoken Word on Facebook. Um, also look at the video stuff that I'm doing, which is all under Process Productions. Um, so Process Process, process Pro on Twitter, Process Productions on Instagram, Process Productions on Facebook. Also support the Process Productions Patreon because making stuff is not cheap and it <laughs> helps to have money to help make stuff. Um, other than that, videos on YouTube. Again, search Tyrone Lewis. Many of my hinge dates have done that and found videos, so you can do it too. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant uh, and blackish as i said out on burning eye books incredible piece of work go and check it out uh all that leaves me to say is tyrone thank you i'm glad i'm glad we finally got to sit down it's been really interesting thank you very much for joining me no thank you for having me it's been good to talk and hopefully some of this makes some level of sense <laughs> always always and now a poem from tyrone himself this piece is called mum poem this one's about me and my mum she taught me sarcasm before she taught me how to walk, made sure I knew I was a Tottenham fan before I knew my time's table, and she showed me Star Wars before she showed me how to dress. And my mother has a TARDIS heart. It may not look like much on the outside, but best believe me, it is bigger on the inside, and I have been lost in all of its hallways for all the space and time and still keep finding new doors to explore. And I am sorry, Falcor, but her love is more never-ending than your story. It's more unbreakable than your movie, M. Night, and it's serving more realness than any look I have seen on the main stage of RuPaul's Drag Race. You could easily be fooled into thinking that her heart has never been broken. I know it skipped a couple of beats in high school, but I think all those crushes did was soften it. I know it's got a lot of love for Idris, and Denzel, and... A bit of Will and all of Adrian Lester, but I don't know if my father was the first one she let into it. Maybe he helped her fix it. Kept it in place up until the divorce, but after that I expect there must have been a couple of cracks, but... I've never seen any stray splinters that have fallen into my dinners. There were no stray shards strewn across our living room floor. If there were any pieces missing, she's kept them well hidden. See, I think my mum is a magician. 
I mean, she kept appearing and reappearing all my football matches, all my poetry nights. She kept me believing that she was 27 up until I was 11. And she keeps finding my happiness in the bottom of her top hat. Scratch that. My mother is a superhero. She's carrying all of my fuck-ups in one hand. I was breaking on every barrier in front of her with the other. She doesn't need any spandex. But Kevin Feige is currently working on producing her own Marvel standalone film. Scratch that. My mother is a wrestler and currently on the longest undefeated streak in WWE history, surpassing both Goldberg and Oscar. Because I've seen my mum hurt but I have never seen her beaten. Scratch that, my mum would beat your mum. Scratch that, my mum would beat your dad. Scratch that, my mum's a scratch that, my mum scratched that, my record scratch, and my mother has a TARDIS heart. It may not look like much from the outside, but best believe me, it is bigger than the love that she receives. And I'm trying to make up for it, but I'm too busy being shit. I keep spending my nights swimming in Stella instead of coming home to her. I keep trying to buy smiles, ignoring the ones that she gives me for free. And I keep messing up my life, knowing that she'll always be there to clean up after me. And in this moment, I have never found Blue and Elton John more relatable because there was a word that I'm trying to say to her that's proving just so hard right now. So instead, here's this poem. This one's about me and my mum. A massive thank you as always to you at home for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please do share it with a friend. You can find us on Instagram at People's Poetry Podcast, over on Twitter at People underscore Poetry. You can find us on Facebook, People's Poetry Podcast. I'm on Twitter, JBO, that's JBO Pens Poems. And you can email us if you want to get involved with the show, if you're a poet yourself and you'd like to sit down and chat, or if social media just don't cut the mustard and you want to get in touch, it's People's Poetry Podcast at hotmail.com. Come.